Being an entrepreneur can be a lonely place. Most businesses don't even get past the first three years. So in this series, we're going to be talking to entrepreneurs that are high-performing or high-performing businesses that can help you with hints, tips and hacks to help you fast-forward your way to success. My name is Mark Burgess. I've got over 20 years experience working as an entrepreneur, building up various different businesses. I've wrote a best-selling book. I speak nationally and internationally at different conferences. And this is Raising Your Game. In this episode of Raising Your Game, I talk to Andrew Priestley. He's a qualified and award-winning business coach, author, and speaker. And we talk about how you do sales and why you're probably doing it wrong. Okay, so Andrew, uh, thanks for coming in. Um, are you able to just give the viewers a bit of a background on yourself, let them know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, a business coach, right? But I specialise in leadership. So a lot of my clients, they've got business development goals that they're trying to achieve. Um, and the solution to that is to be a better leader. So that it's leadership-driven business coaching, if you like. Okay, yeah. cool. And... Uh, Obviously, you've got, I mean, I've spoken to you before, away from this, uh, we've, we've met yeah. several times, you've got this whole kind of uh, vault of gold inside your head from your experience, yeah. um, and I know you told me in the past you even uh, have sold prestige real estate, is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I, I actually started out as a school teacher, right, and I worked as a school teacher for 10 years, and then I took long service leave. And um, I thought, oh, I want to do something totally different, totally away from teaching. And uh, there was a course that you could do originally from Australia. So I'm in Queensland and there was a course that you could do, I saw advertised in the paper, on selling real estate. And it was up the road. So I walked up to the sales office and I said, I'd love to do this. And they asked me my background. I told them, I said, I've got three months off. I want to, I want to do it. And they said, yeah, go for it. Really good. Um, what I didn't realise, it was prestige real estate. So this was a fair while ago. So the properties that I was selling started from a million pounds, a million dollars plus Australian, million Australian dollars, which was, they were pretty, pretty nice properties, mm. right? Um, and it was on a waterfront development. And the really nice thing about this waterfront development is you've got the Queensland subtropical climate, you've got these beautiful sprawling two-storey houses, you know, the average house was about two to three million. Right. Yeah. So when houses were selling for about eighty-five thousand. Blimey. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how did you? You know, was there anything you learnt during that experience of selling those prestige properties, uh, based around how you sell to people, or you know, things things that people could use in their own businesses to help them with their uh, the way that they sell? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a great question. Um. To sell real estate in Australia, you have to get an agents and auctioneers um, certificate, right? You've got to be registered mm -hmm. with any real estate agent. I'm, I'm assuming that's true in the UK as well, but still in Australia, you've got to be registered. And to do that, I had to do a thing called the REIQ Fast Start training. And they teach you all property law and agents and auctioneering law and all that sort of okay. stuff. But a huge component of it was sales, right? Huge component. And... Um, the guru at the time was a guy called Tom Hopkins. And so the Bible that we were given to read was Master the Art of Selling. And the other one was, which you know, I think people should read is a book called How I Raise Myself, How I Raise Myself to Success Through Selling Insurance, which is 
a guy called Frank Betcher who wrote it in about 1947, something like that. But Tommy Hopkins' book was 1982, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the book that we were said, you've got to go read this and read it and read it and read it and read it. And that's what I'm doing, right? So I'm reading this book. Plus, we were getting trained in all of his principles. And no disrespect to Tom, you know, because you've got to think it was the 80s and 90s, right? But it was like the black art of selling today. We'd look at it and say it's the black art of selling. The thing I learned is all of that stuff works. It really does work. You, you literally can sell anybody anything using these techniques. The question is now, should you use those techniques? Mm -hmm. So you really, we're really in an age of ethics now. I know I can sell you like this, but should I be selling you like this, right? Mm -hmm. And... So my sales manager is saying, you know, why aren't you top of the leaderboard? Remember that movie, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, which yeah. is real estate, right? And the punchline for that movie is amazing, right? But they're all trying to get to the top of the leaderboard. And I think Alec Baldwin is, you know, ABC, always be selling. That was my sales manager. He was exactly, it was like a training film, yeah. right? In the 90s, it was Boiler Room. And I think the 2000s, it's The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Instantly, all of those people all went to jail, mm. Right. <laughs> so it's not a training that's video That's where you end up. Yeah. yeah, that's where you end up if you do that stuff, right? Um, but uh, that's what we're being told to sell, right? So uh, if somebody came in and they look at the, the, you know, back then they still had photos on the window and people would walk in and come and ask about a property. The thing was go out and show them properties and use Tommy Hopkins' 12 closes to close them into a sale, mm. right? And I remember the first property I sold was, uh, was owned by a Russian and he needed to sell it and the property was worth probably about two and a half million and I had someone come along and, he, and the law in Australia is if somebody puts in an offer, you've got to present it to the client. Yeah. You can't say, no, they won't take it, right? So I go to my salesman and he said, this is, a, this is a rubbish offer and he said, take it to the client. I said, no, laugh at me. But what my sales manager knew was this guy was desperate, right? Now, this guy agreed to the sale, and it was a fraction of what this property was worth, right? And we did the sale, right? Um, I can't tell you, you can't have enough showers, you can't get rid of that grime, because mm. you know that, what was this all about? And at the heart of it was my sales manager was pushing me to get on the leaderboard, sell the property, sell the property, close the deal. It was, you know, use the techniques, and it was awful. This is a long way to explain this. Um, and I talked to my wife about it, and I, I said, this is not my values, right? And uh, she said, well, how do you want to sell it? And I said, well, I'd like to buy a property the way I'd like to buy a property, right? So um, long story short, I'm sitting in this real estate agency, and this lady comes in, and... And in Australian real estate agencies, they still have a duty manager, so you're rostered, you're on a rotor, and if it's your time on, whoever walks in the door, you get first chance to talk to them. Okay. Otherwise, you've got a feeding frenzy, mm -hmm. right? So this guy takes this woman out. Five minutes later, they're back outside, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm thinking, well, she seems upset. And she's sort of gesturing like this, and he's, oh, like this. And he comes in, he goes, what a bitch. If, can I say that? Yeah. Yeah, and so whatever um, you want. <laughs> and I th and I didn't think anything more of it. And then about ten minutes later, I went out to go and get a coffee, and I see this lady. She's sitting there, and um, I said, I, I can't help but notice, but you were at the agency before, and you were seemed pretty upset. What was going on? 
And uh, she said, look, I told him my husband's had hip replacement surgery and we want a single dwelling on a flat block. What's the first place he took us to? Right. Two-storey sloping block. I said, we don't have any single-storey bungalows here. And, they're all, and there's nothing without a sloping block because it's all canal front, waterfront. She said, why didn't you tell me that? Right? And I didn't sell that lady any property, but it gave me a lot of pause for thought. So the next lady that came in, I thought, how do I want to be sold? I'd want to know somebody to know about me. Mm. Right? So I asked this lady, um, uh, tell me, you know, where have you come from? And I said, before we look at properties, let's have a coffee and tell me where you're coming from. And so we were sitting there for about 40 minutes and I got her story. And then eventually she said, uh, I asked her, have you got you're moving here, have you got a young family? She says, yeah, and I want to send them to primary school. I said, well, yeah, the primary school's just over the waterfront there, over the other side of the canal. And she said, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I said, I wouldn't buy here. And she goes, why not? I said, because you're going to have to drive up to the highway, which is two kilometres, then you're going to have to go another kilometre, then you're going to have to go two kilometres down to get the school, and you're going to then come home again. Mm. And you're going to do that twice a day at drop-off time, peak hour, and it's just going to drive you nuts because they're in, what, grade one and two? Mm. Every, year for the, every year, every day for the next six years, you're going to be doing that. You'll, I said, why don't you buy this but go rent something over there? Right? And she said, oh, I need to think about it. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, her husband comes in. who He's, the, uh, he's got a dealership in Prestige Cars. He bought three houses. One of them was a rental property and the other two were on the other side of the canal. Because they were looking for, they were setting up a precinct or something. And two of the people he bought houses, one with them and the other guy, they both had young families, right? And so I continued on that. So in, inadvertently, I turned my back on all the Tom Hopkins stuff because, for me, it wasn't the way I wanted to be sold. It's not how I wanted to sell. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know if that sort of answers the question. Yeah, it does. It does answer the question. Um, so, but how did that go down with your? Uh your kind of duty manager who was standing there at the board saying like, sell, 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 sell. And you're, yeah. you're, you're going like, no, that's not ready for me. Well, he roasted me. Right. <laughs> he totally roasted me. He said, you know, what, what the hell's going on, right? Until I did three sales, right? And then another couple came in who was the CEO of an airline, for example, and he said, uh, you know my friend so-and-so, he said that <clears throat> you actually find out why we want to live here and what, what else. So for some reason, that message got out, right? Yeah. Um, he bought four or, five, four or five properties off me, right? And suddenly I'm just climbing up this leaderboard. Yeah. Um, and do you think that's where you maybe start to realise you need a business that you can create around your own vision and values rather than working inside someone else's who wants you to do this, 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 and you're, you're doing these things that you think are right, but... Yeah, a, you, you've, you've, actually, you've actually got two things happening there. So I often ask people, because in business coaching, and I do a lot of speaking on business development, mm. you know, I often ask people, you know, what's the goal of business? So what is the goal of business? Yeah. Make money. It's it. Right? And if you're in doubt of that, ask the HMRC. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's, they want you to make money because they want the taxes, you know. It's the goal of business is to make money, right? So I get my sales manager, make, do the sale because we're here to make money, yeah. right? The purpose of business, though, is very, very different. And that's where people get it confused, you know. What's the purpose of this business? And that's very much how you want to uh, interpret that around my values, for example, right? Yeah. So the purpose of my business, and let's, let's be clear here, I was a commission-only salesperson, 
I'm technically running my own business, right? They're not paying me anything. I only get paid. If I don't sell something, I don't eat, yeah. right? Uh, I know it was costing them money to have me in that office and I still had to contribute funds to that. But once I started selling properties, then the sales manager, cheeky bugger, he says to me, what are you doing? I said, well, get your credit card out and I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. All right, look, we've got to go to a break. After the break, I want to dig into where you see uh, the way that sales has changed over the last few years, specifically since maybe the early 2000s. Um, don't go away. Welcome back. Um, so, before the break, um, we were talking about how you discovered uh, the way that you could sell to somebody and then you started to discover the way that you actually wanted to help people and that resulted in you selling to people by default anyway. Yeah. Um, I know in the past we've spoken uh, before about the kind of um, the stages that selling has gone through over the years and it's, it's been quite an interesting conversation. Would you, can you just share a bit of that with the viewers about um, how you have seen the kind of or learnt about the different progress that Sowers has made through the different sort of decades? I think a key point is it has progressed and a lot of people don't know that, right? So selling has a pedigree, it has a history and a lot of people don't know that. And the test for that is you take something very sim simple on selling like ADA, you know, attention, interest, desire, action, right? Mm -hmm. um, where does that come from? If you ask most people, and, and salespeople use that, they taught that, you know, A-I-D-A. They told that. That's how you do a sale, right? That's one of the methods, right? But where did that come from? So um, the first challenge for me was, remember, I'm looking at Tommy Hopkins and Frank Betcher, and I go, where did they get their ideas from? Yeah. That was the question that went through my mind. So that started a long journey of starting to say, what is the history of published titles on, on selling? Where did it come from? What was, the, what was the origins and the pedigree of it? And... One of the earliest books that we have on sale was uh, on selling um, was 1859, and it was how to sell life assurance. And then I think 1887, you had a guy called John Patterson, who uh, this amazing piece of equipment was created, which changed the world. It was called a cash register. Right. So prior to that, people couldn't track transactions. Right. And the, it, like computer rushes now, but the cash register, if you like, was the, the technology of the 1880s, right? And it totally changed the world, but you can't believe it, right? NCR, National Cash Register Company. Mm -hmm. um, and John Patterson had a license to sell it. But he said, well, how do we sell this to people? So he actually wrote a book on how we sell cash registers. <laughs> Great name for a book, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, IBM came out of that, by the way. I, I think Watson was one of his students. Right. So IBM is, it came out of John Patterson's stuff. Now, uh, Jeffrey Gatoma, who wrote a lot of books on Patterson, says he's the, he's the grandfather of selling, right? Um, so I'm starting to look at that sort of stuff. But selling doesn't really take off in the way that we know it today until about 1904-1908. And so a couple of things happened in that period of time. Number one was at the turn of the century in America, because most of our sales techniques have come out of the States, right? Mm -hmm. They were the first people to start to document it effectively, right? Apart from this Scottish life assurance company, right? 
1901, the discretionary spend of Americans trebled. It went from 500 US to 1500. And around about 1904 to 1908, the Model T Ford starts to go into production. Mm -hmm. So mass production starts to take off. So basically, we can produce more than we can sell, right? But alongside that, you've got the real estate industry because now people can afford homes, right? Particularly in America. And if you've got a car and you've got a home, you need to insure it. So those three industries really, really take off. And they've all got the same problem. We've got all this stuff to sell. How do we, how do we move it? Right? So in 1922, they commissioned a guy from Stanford University called E.K. Strong, if you look him up, an amazing psychologist and researcher. But he researched sales techniques. Okay? And uh, particularly, he was financed by the real estate industry, the uh, insurance and automobile industry. <coughs> And he does this landmark set of how to sell stuff, right? And really what he did was he, he took a collection of what people were doing and, and tested whether it worked or not. And those three industries took his research and started to run with it. But in 1925, he comes back and he says, a lot of this is wrong. It doesn't work. 1927, same thing. But in the 1920s, it was so expensive if you printed something to scrap it and then redo it again. So those techniques stay. The, the, actually, the, the real estate industry just basically said, no, we got what we wanted, fine. Yeah, we're going to stick with it. We're going to stick with it. And so Frank Betcher, for example, was trained in a system that was developed in 1922 that actually doesn't work. And the, the premise behind it is, I've got to flog your stuff. I've got to sell you something. So if you can sum up everything that happened from 1904 to 2004, it's in one word, transaction. I've got to flog you something. I've got to make you buy something that you don't want to buy. And that hits its peak around about 1982. And again, apologies to Tom Hopkins. He's a genius. He's absolutely genius. But really, the world really embraced what Tom was saying about how to close people. So you've got languaging like how to close, the 12 closes, this, the, that. And people are out learning textbook closes. And they all work. But at the same time, we've got laws that are coming in like cooling off laws. For example, we saw this with aluminum siding, for example, and car sales. And it went right through every major high-ticket multi-step purchase. We've got this cooling off factor because the techniques work unbelievably. And people got sold bunnies, which is what Glen Gary, Glen Ross is all about. It's trying to trick someone into a sale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then the world changes in 2004, In fact, in 1988, a book called Spin Selling comes out, which actually puts the emphasis back on the customer, and then customer-focused or customer-centred selling comes out in about 1995, 2000, somewhere in there, which is all about the needs of the customer, right? But in 2004, the world changed, and a lot of people didn't realise it, and that's Facebook, okay? And if you're on Facebook, to get into Facebook, you had to be in that alumni and you had to know somebody, and it had to be about relationships. And so Facebook really changes us from transaction very much to relationship. But great big cycles normally take about 20 years before we figure out what that cycle is. And we're right, social media, for example, we're still trying to figure out what the hell it is, right? 2004. So we're coming up, we're about five years out still from what actually is social selling or social media. What's this whole relationship thing? Yeah. 
And you can sort of see from, say, that early pedigree of social networking, for example, it's about social selling. The clue's in the name, social selling. It's transaction relationship, transaction relationship. So what people haven't realised or they haven't twigged on is we very much have entered a cycle where relationships are back. In fact, they never went away. You know, your little black book is back. The way I sold properties pre-internet was I went out and met people face to face. I networked with them. I got to know them. They got to know me. And something that's never changed is people hate to be sold. You must have realised that. They want it, they want... They want to buy themselves. They, they don't want yeah. to be sold to. Yeah. They want to make them feel like they make their own decision. I mean, we talk a lot about uh, nurturing and some of our clients, they, they ask us if nurturing works because they kind of invest in it for three months. Yeah. And they go like, oh, I haven't seen anything happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a, as you say, it's a, this isn't about nurture to make a sow tomorrow. This is about just just be social. Like, yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> nurturing, where does it come from? Your mother. You, your mum was nurturing because she wanted something from you, right? <laughs> well, yeah, she didn't want you to get run over, basically. Yeah, yeah but, it was, but it was good intention. That's yeah. exactly right. You wanted but that's, you to survive. That, that's nurturing, see? Yeah. See, it's, 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 you, go, you go to the spirit of intent behind it, right? And also, too, as a business development coach, you know, I'm saying, you know, what's the, the model that you've got for your business isn't consistent with the way you sell. Mm. So if you're saying we need a sale today, you've got to go back and look, well, how do we actually build a business that allows for us to build a, rela- a genuine relationship? Now, the truth is uh, most of the relational networking that you're going to do, you're probably not going to make a sale from, but the amazing thing is as people get to know you and they go, I like this guy and I, you know, he's straight up and down and he's, you know, what you see is what you get, they say, I know someone you should chat with. And that's ex- so if you listen to my story, that's what happened. I met a lady who didn't buy from me, who knew someone who then comes in and buys from me. And that was the nature of most sales. So my sales manager then attempted to try and bottle it. Yeah. And it didn't work because the spirit behind it was I'm still trying to transact. I'm still trying to get you to do something mm. you don't want to do. It's, yeah. it's old school thinking. But relationships is you've got to really ask yourself, well, if I really genuinely believe in a relationship, what exactly does that mean to me? And at the heart of it, you then start tapping into your values. And I think the Brits do relationships better than anyone else on the planet. Yeah. You, know, you don't need Americans or Australians coming here to tell you how to relate. And that's because, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, but you believe that the, the Brits are good at it just because of the transparency side of things? Sincerity? I, no, I think it's... I think it's The the difference, I think, between Australia and America is you've got vast distances. And the the great example of that is the the movie Oklahoma where the peddler brings a horse and cart and he's selling stuff, pots and pans, but he's travelled a vast distance. So the the least you can do is buy something from him. You feel that obligation. So in Australia, buy something from me. I've I've come to see you. The least you can do is get your checkbook out Mm. and buy something from me, right? Or your credit card out. Whereas the Brits uh, live on top of each other. We're very, very close and it's, it's you build a relationship. And so the way the Brits do business is get to know me. And I, and I mean that, get to know me. You know, be, become a mate, you know, get to know. And I might buy something from you, mm. but don't bank on that, but I might. But what happens is as Brits get to know you, and, you know, banter's a big part of that, for example, um, you feel, you know, I know someone who's great for you. I know someone you should be chatting with. You start referring just naturally because I've, I've already established this great relationship with you. So a lot of people are struggling right now of how do I actually get that really good ethical underpinning in what I'm doing 
into the way I do my business right now. And it can be done. I mean, you're in the business where you, you clearly showed people how to do that. Yeah. And then you can apply things like automation and CRMs, but you're basing it on, uh, you know, you're, you're relating with someone you've already got a relationship yeah. with and they want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. love it, love it. Um, okay, we have to wrap it up. Um, if, if anyone does want to connect with you, what's the best way for somebody to reach out? Uh, easiest way is LinkedIn. Andrew Priestley on LinkedIn, that's the fastest yeah. way. Yeah. Awesome, brilliant. All right, thanks very much for coming in. Great. It was a, it was a pleasure. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs>